Welcome to Leader Fables, a podcast where two lifelong friends and totally obsessed business nerds discuss all things leadership. I'm your host, Casey Clark, and I'm joined by my good friend, Jacob Evans, whose ideal vacation includes a beach, a stack of books, and a fermented drink. How are you doing, Jacob? I'm doing good. I think I just need the stack of books and the beach. The fermented drink is just a bonus. It's like the cherry on top. Are you pro-umbrella or or anti-umbrella? Pro-umbrella, definitely. Seems to just get in the way. That's the first thing to chuck it out. You got to take care of the fair skin, you know, (laughs) and I hate sunburns, so. No, I'm saying the umbrella of the drink, not like an oh, umbrella. Over no, no, no. You. I need an umbrella over me on the beach. Um, I I don't drink drinks with the come with umbrellas. So oh, so now you're making fun of me for that. But I now I'm gonna forever have this picture of you having a little drink umbrella holding it above your head. Just a little teeny drink umbrella. That's all you need. I mean, you know, that's perfect. What a great if you hold it high enough. Well, no, low enough. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You could like if there's one like quarter spot on your skin you're worried about that might work that's it yeah it'd be like my pinky toe (laughs) well welcome to episode two we're very excited today we're going to talk about the perils and opportunities associated with inheriting a team and we'll get into how to set expectations uh dealing with imposter syndrome as a leader which i'm really excited to talk about and the art of hiring and firing. That is a ton in, in one episode. But before we do that, we want to jump back into our leadership fable. And if you remember last time, Anne, that's Anne with no E, some of you who watch Netflix will get my joke there, uh, was tasked by the king to become the first ever middle manager. So we're going to pick up the story there, see what happens next when she meets her team for the very first time. All right, everyone. Right down now, now. Come on now. Settle down. Settle down. Dodge. Do- dodge. Dodge. Take a seat. Yes. Actually, everyone, take your seat. Now, I have a very important announcement. Now, as you all know, I haven't been feeling myself lately. No, no. Uh, well, yes, no. Uh, I think I'm having a mid... Well, it's a, it's a bit of a mid-rain crisis. Sire, I think you might be a bit past mid-rain. What's life expectancy running? Forty? Actually... Life expectancy is 33, (laughs) so I would say that perhaps a more accurate description would be a double rain crisis. (laughs) Oh, you know what they say? Every day is a gift. Yes, indeed. That is why I get the most out of each gift, yes. And that is why I would like to announce my ascension to the highest form of leadership. Higher than king? Um, Dad... I mean, King, is that what you called everyone here to announce? Or was it more about a new member of the team? Sorry, excuse me? I believe you wanted to announce your decision to change the kingdom's structure to include a leader tasked with running day-to-day operations. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Anne. Yes, indeed. No, no, let me try again now. Now, I have called you here today to announce the creation of an ingenious new structure to the kingdom. Uh, created by me, of course. Now, one that frees me from the monotony of daily operations and the need to interact with non-divine drabble and peasants. You know we're still here, right? I believe what my dad, uh, King, is trying to say is he is creating a new manager position to run day-to-day operations. Right. So what I hear you saying is that a new manager will be implemented 
to run day-to-day operations? Yes, yes, that's that's exactly what she, uh, what I said. Now, wait here just a minute, partner. Do you mean to tell me that you're putting your daughter in charge so that you can go sow your wild oats? Why, her. Everyone in this room is more qualified than she is. Hey, 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 hold on, Dodge. Uh, That's not exactly fair. Exactly. Let's, Let's give the king a chance to explain his thinking. I... For one, know how hard it is to not feel heard. So, go ahead, King. Help us understand your thinking. Well, uh, yes. <laughs> I should definitely offer an explanation. Now, the first thing you have to understand is... Ring, ring. Ring, ring. Oh, gosh. Oh, did you hear that? I'm so sorry. It's my cell. Uh, just a moment. Yes. Leo, you have reached his royal kingness. Is he kidding us? Cell phones haven't been invented yet. They'll be invented in 475 years, to be exact. Oh, Uh, there's an emergency. And you need me to leave right now to come to you. Well, uh, I mean, I'm in the middle of an important meeting. But I I guess I will just have to leave now. Uh, No time to explain. Okay, well... That just happened. Look, I know that you might not be thrilled about this new situation, but I think we should do our best to make the most of it. What do you say? Give me a chance. I think I might surprise you. Uh, Do we have a choice? No, not really, sorry. Well, I'm in. Come on, everyone, let's give her a chance. It's uh, it's not like the king has organized us as a team or, you know, ever particularly been supportive of any of our work. And besides, it might be nice to work together as a team for a change and, uh, you know, have a leader here every day to support us. Mm, That's true. Last week, I asked the king about an HR complaint from a maid who claimed she'd been verbally harassed by a milk merchant. His only response was that the claim was utterly nonsense. Oh, sorry, that actually isn't too bad. Uh, But uh, when I told him about a complaint from a landowner about raw sewage, you know, in the street, uh, all he said was, ew. Yeah, that's it. And then he told me to go send him a map. So uh, I guess it can't be too much worse. Thank you, I think. I suggest we'll start over. Why don't we take a couple of minutes to get to know each other? Oh, that's a great idea. Uh, How about an icebreaker? Two truths and a lie? What's that? What's that? She asked me what's that. It's a game where we all go around the room and each person tells two personal truths and one lie. Then everyone votes for a fact. Which fact is the lie? I love this game. It's pretty much an HR requirement that you play it at least once in your career. Sounds great. It would also be helpful if you tell me your name and your department. I'll start. My name's Dodge from non-countable U.S. of A. I run the IT department. My two truths? One, I like red meat. Two, vegetables suck. And my lie is that I don't find you attractive. Okay, a couple of things. First, thanks for your honesty. Second, I don't think you are supposed to tell which facts are truths and which ones are lies. The fun of the game is that we get to guess. Sorry about that. Not really good with rules. More like a shoot-from-the-hip kind of guy. No problem. Let's keep going around the table. Okay, that means I am next. 
My name is Madame Sagan. I run the HR and legal departments. Uh, as I understand the game, I will now share two true facts and one untrue fact about my person. Correct? Yes, that's great. <laughs> Terrific. Okay, here are my three factual statements in no particular order. Huh? Uh, number one. I appreciate clarity and communications. Number two, I live in a house-like structure. Number three, let me think. I, uh, ooh, this is hard. <laughs> oh, I know. I enjoy baby showers. It's pretty obvious you don't enjoy baby showers. Number three, that's it. I win. Uh, hang on, Dodge. Everyone gets to guess. Well, uh, I, I, I think she doesn't... Yeah, I think number it's number three. I, I think it's number three. Definitely too. number three. Yeah, it's probably number three. Okay, thank you, Madame. Say again. Uh, next. Hello, my name is Clive, the Marquis de Cliché, and it is my honor to lead the marketing and sales team. My three facts are: one, a leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. Two, people need to know you care before they care about you. Oh, before they care what you know. And three, never, never, never give up. Thanks, Clive. I'm not sure those are facts as much as they are clichés. Three is a lie. There are absolutely times in which you should give up. For example, why don't you give up your number to me? Okay, this is going great. Oh, I totally agree. I just have to say right now, I feel so close to all of you. Right? Right this second. Yeah. Me too. Uh, go ahead, Tara. Oh, mm, me. Mm. Sorry, I get a little choked up sometimes. My name is uh, Tara DeFontaine. Uh, I lead the customer service team here in the kingdom. Uh, my three facts. Uh, okay, so number one, sometimes... I have to admit, I feel overlooked. Number two, I have named one of my cats after each person in this room. And number three, I enjoy a good cry. Good God, I hope you don't have a cat named after me. I agree. No way you have five cats. That's the lie. <laughs> I tricked all of you. Uh, you're all wrong. They are all true. Tara, those are not the rules. I shall repeat them for you. No one wants you to repeat the rules for darn tootin's sake. You're always repeating everything. Maybe I wouldn't have to repeat if everyone would listen or, or do something as wild as, I don't know, take notes. Wait, do you have a cat named after me? We just met today. This was great. Are we done here? I think so. I would like to thank everyone for sharing. Nope, nope, hold it, hold it. Uh, not everybody didn't share. Uh, we we didn't hear anything from you, Anne. Oh, yeah. No, thanks, Tara. Uh, well, let's see. Uh, what should I share? This is hard. Um, okay, let's go with this. One, my favorite breakfast food is pancakes. Two, I love this kingdom and I want it to be the best place to live in the entire realm. Three, I am... Not at all terrified and totally overwhelmed by leading this team. In no way do I feel like an imposter with nothing of value to share. I am not at all worried that I will fail. Hmm. I think we know which one is the lie. Yeah, and there's no way you like pancakes better than waffles. Oh, Dodge!
that is the best game of three truths and a lie or two truths and a lie. I think I've ever heard. So I think, I think it's safe to say that is probably about the worst warm up game I have ever played. <laughs> it is because there's, there's like this, there, there becomes all the strategy for it, right? Like the way far out there thing is obviously not the lie. And so you start to know like the, the thing that's kind of maybe could be, that's the lie every time. I've just started telling three lies every time. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. You're, and then, oh yeah, I mean, you're always right, so it's great. I just do, I do a pickup line, you know, like uh, like Dodge did in the in the thing. Uh, so the, truth the problem is, is, is I'm just not that interesting. So you know, <laughs> yeah. the lie just really sticks out. I wonder if anyone's ever done some crazy thing just to have something for two truths and a lie. So. You know, I think meeting your team for the very first time when you're a leader coming into a group or if you're taking over a team can be a little terrifying, to be honest, because, you know, everyone's sizing each other up very quickly. And so let's talk about the perils of inheriting a team and the opportunities that come with it. So, Jacob, have you ever inherited a team like Anne or on the flip side, have you ever built a team from scratch and what's the difference? What do you prefer? What's been your experience? I've done both. Um, so I've inherited teams and built teams and I much prefer building teams than inheriting teams. Um, and you know, I, I think the reasons are probably obvious. Uh, when you're building a team, you can, you can ensure that you hire the right people, that people fit together really well. Um, the folks that you're hiring, they, You've created a rapport with them just going through the the uh, recruiting process. So I find it much easier to kind of get in the flow with 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 folks that you hire yourself. Um, when you're inheriting a team, uh, it's much more difficult to achieve that sort of same uh, rapport on day one uh, yeah. when you get going. And uh, and there's a, I, I think there's a few more perils involved in <laughs> inheriting a team than building a team from scratch. Um, because when you inherit a team, you're inheriting all the good, all the bad, everything, and everything in between. And uh, when you're building a team, um, you're not inheriting anything. You're either creating good or creating bad, and owning everything in between. I'll play. I'll play devil's advocate to your approach there because I've done the same. I've I, I've definitely inherited more teams than I've built. Like there was one time, and I have a background in banking where I got to open up a branch from scratch, including building the branch, hiring the whole team. And I found out very quickly, and I I would deem myself a pretty good hirer. We'll talk about that later. Uh, But about six months in, it was the same type of leadership, whether I inherited the team or I built the team, other than I had no one else to blame but me because I was the one that signed off on each hiring. So I think sometimes the bar's lower uh, when you're taking over an existing team and I'll even say when you're taking over a team that uh, is underperforming that if I had to choose my ideal situation, that's what I would pick because it's it's really easy to establish trust. You know, if you're an effective leader um, and it's easy to move move things quickly to show progress. And so, yeah, but th- there's definitely some uh different things. And, and if you have to hire everyone at once, that can be overwhelming um, that can as be. well. Yeah. So. yeah, I think I think you're right. There are more uh, opportunities for hero moments when you inherit a team. And depending on you know who you're working for, that might be a great benefit. Yeah. Um, 
the way I'm wired, I, I prefer to, <laughs> I don't know, maybe it's a good or bad thing. I don't know, but I, I prefer to, uh, start from scratch. Yeah. And, uh, if I had a preference, that would be my preference. Um, and, uh, I, I don't know for the reasons I kind of articulated, but you're right. There isn't that, that once you get a few months under your belt, there isn't a big difference between inheriting a team yeah. or starting a team from scratch. It's leadership and the, and the leadership skills that you need to bring to bear are, uh, identical. Yeah. I have to tell you a funny story because I, when I was in banking, I actually, my brand, if you would, as a leader was turning over branches. So like I would inherit a branch that was in trouble and then I'd go in and my job was, was to turn it over. And one of the very first things I would do is, is sit the whole staff down and I'd say, look, you know, this, we need to fix some things. I'm going to be in this with you, but if you're going to leave, would you do it now? (laughs) <laughs> because the worst thing is to have to like, uh, establish all these rhythms and, and, you know, the, the kind of the team dynamics you start to improve and then someone leaves and then you're like bringing that person in and trying to build rapport and get them in on the team. So that is like, I don't know that that's like the best, best practice to give, but I, I do find that there is, uh, when you're taking over a new team, an opportunity to get really honest in the beginning, like, hey, we're just getting to know each other. It's going to take us a little bit of time, but w- what is your intention? Like, are, are you planning on staying on the team? What's going to keep you on the team? What would make you leave? And then be really honest with each other about where you're at and what the vision is. So uh, some people might not like that uh, tip, but I found it very effective in my career. No, that's brilliant. I, I think that's really smart, really wise. Like, yeah. hey, if if you want to stay on the bus, great. We know things aren't great. You know, stay on. But if you're ready to get off, please do yeah. so now so you don't waste my time, your time, everyone else's time. Yeah. Uh, I think that's really... Uh, or let me know so that I don't pour, like, you know, all this energy into you and, and you're going to go be good at something else rather than staying here. Okay, so here's a question. So you you're in this position. You take over a team. What are some of the very first things you do as a, as a middle manager um, to get that team going? So here's, here's my advice. Um, you might disagree with this, Casey. I, my, so to answer your question, what's the first thing you do when you inherit a team? Nothing. Do <laughs> nothing. I mean, establish yourself as, you know, the leader and the guy that, you know, or gal that, that, that folks need to go to to get direction or advice or whatever, but when I say nothing, I mean, don't make any changes. Yeah. No, I, I actually do agree with that. Oh, um, fantastic. Uh, because uh, there's a temptation, you know, especially when you're taking over a team that's not firing on all cylinders, there's a temptation to make a whole bunch of changes right away. Yeah. Um, and I have done that and I have regretted it. <laughs> well, and I think this is the beauty of being a middle manager, right? Because you're leading a team and you're being led as well on a team, right? You're in, you're, you're in basically two different sandboxes that you're playing in. And I think we've all experienced what it's like for someone new to come in and, and, you know, just change everything. And I, I've always joked that when the new leader comes in, sometimes you just got to let them punch themselves out uh, for a bit. Like they come in and they're furiously, but you know, they're going to get tired and you know that they're going to get demoralized, you know, like they're just going to get into the rhythm that the the company's already going in. So, but I, I do agree. And I think your first uh, focus should be on relationships with your team. And I would in the first 90 days, that's all I would tell you to focus on is building relationship. And 
you probably need to have this conversation with your boss or your manager about your approach as well. There's a great book called The First 90 Days. Um, this one you could pick up that that talks about how to come in as a middle manager in that first 90 days. You know, get to know people, then pick one thing that you're going to focus on to start making improvements once you feel like you've hit that relational uh, component. I have, a, I have a, a middle manager on my team now, and she's taken two teams now, you know, on my team. And and she, the very first, she meets with every person on her team. And that means like a hundred people sometimes. Oh my and I'm always that's like, oh, I'm like, that's, it's too much. You can't do it. And she's like, nope, that is what I'm going to do. And then she uh, finds themes and, and then kind of plans out the the rest of her year. And I think it's such an effective strategy and people know you care, you learn, you care about them and more than just the bottom line, you know, things like that. So yeah, building rapport, I think is really important. Um, and it's and it and if you take the time to do it, it's going to be a reservoir of strength as yeah. you you know work to make changes or and and you know making changes hopefully isn't a dictatorial sort of authoritarian exercise. It's instead um, using persuasion and, yeah. and good arguments to to win people over um, and and to get them on board with making those changes. And that's something that I also had to learn uh, early on is that in order to make changes effectively. You have to start planting seeds yep. about you know what those changes might look like as you talk to people in one on ones and all that sort of stuff, um, and then you wait for those you know sort of ideas to sprout. And sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. And that's you know kind of a good ind- indicator if uh, the idea is worth pursuing. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I found that you know I found it to be hard because I'm an impatient person by nature. <laughs> but if you you know if I I found that if I work to uh, persuade people, talk about the change that I want to make. Um, they'll come back with, you know, their own ideas. Um, sometimes, and, and, and sometimes, oftentimes, in fact, it makes the idea better. Yeah. And by the time we're ready to implement the change, whatever that may be, um, folks will already be on board. They'll already have kind of a good idea of how we're going to implement it. Um, and it, it takes longer, um, I, I'll admit, but it's much more rewarding, I think, in the end and much more effective. Yeah. Um, the change will will more likely stick. <laughs> I'll give uh, one other tip here too. Well, let me let me give a counter and then a tip here as well. A counter would be is if your boss told you there was an issue on the team, um, if your senior leader told you that, that is something that like I've heard leaders say, well, I got to I got to experience that for myself. Like I can't. But this is where we talked about in episode one, establishing that partnership with your boss. Um and I would say if, if your boss is taking the time to tell you that this is like a documented concern, you should start leading that right away um, and and be clear with the team that this is something you're going to lead. But the tip that I had, and this is also will help you understand the previous leader if you didn't know who that was, pull all of the performance reviews for your team and read those right away. And you're going to find a couple things is you should find, you know, the calibration of your team. And I always say, identify your top 10%, identify your bottom 10%. But the other thing this helps you do is understand the type of feedback the team was getting before you. What If the reviews are very generic or if they're all, everyone is positive and rainbows and kittens and lollipops, right? Like that's, I think sometimes what happens with reviews is we actually don't give good feedback. And so if that's the case, you're going to have to adjust your approach in giving feedback if they've never heard any critical feedback before. 
if the reviews are the opposite and like everyone is terrible and you know, then you, you might need to build that them up a bit before you can get to that constructive part. But it's kind of a, a, a stealth way, something you can do work with your HR department to, you know, get a copy of those, read through them and start building your one-on-one questions and templates off of what's been in their reviews also helps them feel like they're not starting over with you as well. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsor, Audible. And today, I'm going to invite Casey to share with us a book that has been formative in his leadership. So, Casey, do you got a great book to share with us that I can find on Audible today? Yes, I have a great book, and we have a great promotion, so they go hand in hand. Uh, the book that I want to highlight today is called Building an A-Team by Whitney Johnson, and it's all about how to put together a team of highly energized, focused, excited individuals that are at different places and different challenges within their career and within the role that they're in. I love this concept that she brings up in the book of looking at development like an S curve. So think of like you're writing an S, but you got to think of writing it backwards, starting at the bottom and writing to the top. And that this is how growth happens uh, for individuals in a role. First, they start and growth is very slow. She calls this the launch phase where uh, individuals are new and they're facing new challenges. They need extra support and it takes a while for them to get momentum. The great part is they're also approaching it with these fresh eyes uh, that are problem, you know, and, and how to solve it. Then they hit this uh, high curve of growth uh, that we call the sweet spot where individuals are started to enjoy the challenge. And while things are still hard, they're not too hard. Uh, they know where the copy paper is, right? They, they get the rhythms, the culture on the team, and momentum uh, is quick. And it's maintained through this focus, growth. This is, I think, when you look back on your career and you think of the most satisfying times was when you were in the sweet spot for the role. But then, and this is the part where I'd never really considered before, is you get to a point where you, you hit mastery, and that's like the top of the S. And if you're not careful, growth can actually shrink during this time because people get bored or you know it becomes repetitive or slow. And that's where you have to find the ability to jump to a new S curve or find new challenges within the position. And this book is terrific because it actually has an assessment you can take and it shows you where you're at on the S curve. You can have your whole team take the assessment and you can map them together to see where your team is at. Do we have too many people at mastery, not enough people in their sweet spot? Do we need some fresh eyes, you know, with someone coming in? Anyway, Building an A-Team by Whitney Johnson, well worth the time and the read. It will be big for your your own personal growth. That sounds great. I have just added Building an A-Team to my reading list, and I invite all of you, dear listeners, to add it to yours as well by taking advantage of an Audible trial, free trial for Audible Plus. You can get it by going to leaderfables.com slash audible. Thank you, Audible, for your support of Leader Fables. Any other tips for like uh, taking over a team and what what to do first? I think one of the things that I have tried to do um, is to demonstrate the values that you want to instill in the team. You yourself have to kind of personify. And uh, I think kind of personal leadership ought to precede um, 
you know, any change that <laughs> you you want to make uh, on the team or you want to see others or, or some sort of behavior you want to see in others. Um, I think that's really important, which is to say, don't ask people to do something that you yourself have, have not been willing to do or demonstrate yourself. Uh, oh, I think that's, that's really important. That's so good. Um, it'd be a better podcast if we disagreed and we could argue about this, but I, I'm like 100% in agreement on this. And I would, I would uh, even venture to say that 50% of your leadership is you being uh, motivated and energized. And so let people get to know your rhythms with how you do your own development, how you do, uh, how you show up each day. Like you can say whatever you want, but they're going to be watching, you know, that first Mm -hmm. meeting, part of the thing that's intimidating is everyone's watching you. Right. And I think how you show up in those spaces, how you be authentic and real, like willing to share a struggle with your struggles, willing to talk about books you're reading, uh, and bringing energy to what you do. Um, that will take you way further than you can in coaching one-on-one. Like it's, they're going to, you know, it's that old saying more is caught than taught, which I think we attribute to parenting, but I think it also applies to your teams. Your team's going to be a reflection of you. So if you don't like your team, uh Oh, better get a mirror because, uh, it's your, it's your fault. Uh, and if you love your team, congratulations, it's your fault. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One of the things, just a real quick example. Um, there was a, a team I was leading. I'd inherited it. The way that the team was performing project management was problematic and a num- for, for a number of ways. And I won't kind of depend on that. Um, and it, so instead of like articulating my ideal sort of project management workflow, I instead uh, bought a couple of books that articulated my ideal project management workflow really well. And uh, I had uh, some of the team leads uh, on the team read them. And it was amazing. They came back and said, oh, yeah, we should be doing this and we should be doing that. I'm like, oh, this is great. So this I, the book planted the seed. And then I was able to kind of draw on experience of leading past teams um, as we worked to kind of implement uh, those changes related, in this case, to project management. And it was really effective. It was So, you know, you don't always have to be the one articulating or planting the seed. Sometimes just buying a person a book and saying, hey, we're going to talk about this, um, you know, in our one-on-one in the next couple of weeks. Uh, give it a read or, you know, skim it. And, uh, and yeah, I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on it. And, uh, and, and, you know, leaving it as kind of an open conversation and kind of letting them draw from uh, material things that they think uh, might be helpful, um, to, you know, in this case it was running projects better, but, uh, um, I mean, there's plenty of business books. There's a lot of really great ones. In fact, we have a list on our website. If you want to go check out the ones we like, yes. um, uh, but yeah, that's a great way too of planting seeds is just, you know, having people read. It's, it's oh so smart. And I, I do the same thing and I actually do book clubs with my groups where, we read a book together every week. We read a, a chapter and then we meet uh, to discuss it. The part that I found that's so great about that, and often if you tailor the book to what your team needs, like you're talking about, project management was an issue. You're not the bad guy. The author is the bad guy, and so you get to have a really frank discussion about you know the ideas in the book. And sometimes you don't agree with it, right? And that's in and you can then contextualize it to your business and what you're going through, what your cultural focus is at the time. So that that's a pro tip right there. Great, great job. Um, I'd love to transition and talk a bit about imposter syndrome and, and I'll define imposter syndrome as just 
feeling like you're not adequate uh, to do the job, right? Like, why am I the leader? There's a lot better other people that could do this job better. And in the fable, I love the line. Uh, it's it's Anne's third, right, uh, of her two truths and a lie. Is she says, I'm not at all terrified and totally overwhelmed by leading this team. In no way do I feel like an imposter with nothing of value to share. I am not at all worried that I will fail. Man, I could tell you if I... If if you looked at my journal, half there's days where this is how I feel, and I, I have a take on imposter syndrome that may be controversial, but we, we could talk about it in a second. But I want to hear what what are your thoughts? Have you ever struggled with this imposter syndrome? Every single day. <laughs> no, maybe not every day, but no, frequently in in my career. And I, I will admit, I struggle with it way less, way 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 less now than I ever have. Um, and you know, early in my career, I'll share this the. Uh, I'd be handed a project. And this is when I was working as an individual contributor. I'd be handed a project and I'm like, and I'd look at it and go, I have no idea how to do this at all. <laughs> like, I don't know how I'm going to get this done. These are technologies that I'm unfamiliar with. Um, and what I found was, is if I stuck with it, did the research, read the books, um, I figured it out amazingly. Like it, and, and the project came together and, and things were good and usually on time. Um, so, you know, I guess my pro tip is if you're tenacious and hungry enough, uh, you'll work through kind of that imposter syndrome. My imposter syndrome came in the form of just lack of knowledge. Like, I don't know what I'm doing here. You know, I felt like a fish out of water. Um, you know, there were other folks, my peers that were much more uh, competent and much more uh, uh, or seemingly more competent, I'll, I'll say. Uh, than I was in, in these areas that I was working in. And I felt like, again, a fish out of water. But if I stuck with it, did the research, um, uh, did the reading, you know, did a bunch of trial and error, I eventually gained the skills I needed to succeed in, you know, completing the project, getting the thing done, shipping it. Um, and I think that's true not only for individual contributors, but it's also true in management. Um, now, it's maybe a little more perilous in leadership than it is as, as an individual contributor, because as a leader, you're you're dealing with people and, and not things. And in my case, it's computers. Um, but I think that if you are curious and hungry, you'll you'll figure it out. And people will because you're curious and hungry and, and you're willing to admit that you know what you don't know and i think that's a big pro tip i think mm. admitting what you don't know when people ask you a question is i think it's okay and and hopefully you know we we work in environments where that's safe where you can say you know what i don't know but i have access to the data and i can get i can get the answer for you you know yeah. or we'll figure this out together um so I, I think say, that that's, that's not a, enough just to say you don't know. The next step is you got to go find out. Like, cause right. I, you, I've worked you with gotta leaders, be hungry. Like, you got to be hungry yeah, and tenacious. Exactly. Like, I don't know. And they never find out, which means you better find out. But yeah, that's it. Right. That's you have so to, com good. you have to commit to the role. You have to commit to getting the work done. I think that's, that's, you know, point number one. Right. Yeah. And then if you do that, I think that's, I think you're almost halfway there. Like if you if you're hungry enough, if you're tenacious, if you're willing to admit you don't know, but you're willing to you know sort it out, um, you'll I found at least for me like I'll overcome the imposter syndrome pretty quickly, yeah. And uh, and I'm surprised, and you know it's funny as you kind of work, um, and you know as I've kind of grown up in companies and taken on more leadership responsibilities, I've figured out that the the folks that 
I thought knew a lot. Didn't quite know as much as I thought they did. Oh, um, you're stealing my point. You're stealing my oh, point. Okay. Well, uh, I'll stop there. Well, and I'll give an example of this. Like, this is what I felt my whole career. Everyone seems smarter than they actually are in the beginning. Like in the beginning, everyone seems smarter than they actually are. And uh, if you need proof of this, watch The Office. Whenever there's a new character introduced on The Office, they always seem like they're coming in and they're like, you know, so put together and, and business savvy. And then over time, you start to learn they're crazy, right? Especially <laughs> the new managers, you know, yeah, exactly. like, you know, exactly. when they hired the new manager over Michael or yep. when they brought in uh, Steve uh, or I'm sorry, Will Ferrell's character. Yeah. Um, like, like, oh, yeah, these guys are super competent. They're going to be great. Unlike Michael. And, uh, <laughs> and then, they're, then they're like, I deserve this cake. I'm going <laughs> to. <laughs> but that is like they have caught real life there because I felt like that. Like I've been in meetings and I have a little bit of an irrational confidence it's one of my best gifts i think like i'll go in and i'll be like these people are so smart and then over time i'm like they're they're average smart like i'm average smart right you know like you develop confidence but here's my hot take on imposter syndrome and and everyone might not agree but this is what i believe imposter syndrome is not your problem right if if someone has hired you for this role and you're not good enough, you're not adequate, that's their problem, not your problem. And this has helped me a lot in my career to know, like, I don't have to keep applying for this job with my with my manager, with my boss. Like, they have already picked me for this job. Now I need to show what I can do. And I can show how I think and 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 grow. But it's not your problem if, if you're in this job and you're underqualified. Like, that, it's your problem if you continue to stay in that spot. But... That worry doesn't help. You have to get to the other part that you were talking about, Jacob, which is doing the work, right? Getting the skills there. But but that's what I always tell myself when I feel like, oh, I have, you know, I'm not cut up to this. I'm like, well, that's that's my boss's problem. Uh, And it just helps me like be able and I trust my boss um, and my leader uh, to the point where like I know they wouldn't put me in a bad situation, right? Like they they're looking out, but it's not your problem. Imposter syndrome is not your problem. No, I think that's a really good hot take on on imposter syndrome. Um, yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I think a lot of us have felt like, oh, there's going to be some. There must have been some mistake while I'm <laughs> why I got picked for this particular role. Yeah, that I you know that I'm performing that has this you know really large leadership component. Um, there must be some mistake. Like yeah. they invited the kid to the adult table, didn't they? Like, yeah. well, and I tell you, even if you can't get there with me, you don't have the same irrational confidence that I have. Like do this, say, I'm going to assess that in three months from now, or I'm going to assess that in six months from now. But right now I don't know enough to know if I can do this or not. So I'm going to have to trust who put me in this role to do it. And Put it on your calendar three months later. Am I good enough to do this job? Like maybe not, maybe three months is too soon. Maybe it's six months, but I guarantee you feel very different in once you've had some time in the role and got to know the team and made some progress, you're going to feel much different uh, about it. Yeah. Okay. Final topic here. And I think this one could be juicy is the hiring and firing of team members and I think we'd be remiss if we don't actually talk about this and give some tips and some just experiences that we've had in our own careers um, here. I've been uh, this has been a story with my team over the past several months has been, 
You are picking your team every single day you show up. The team that you have is a reflection of you, like I said earlier, but it's also the team you're allowing to be here and you're choosing to be here every single day. So uh, Jacob, you said you prefer to build a team from scratch. So I'm going to look to you for some hiring tips because that shows me some confidence and like I can find the right people. Uh, you have any good tips or experiences for? Yeah, for absolutely. Uh, so I used to approach interviews in a very sort of objective, I'll call it objective way, where I had a, a set of questions that I was going to ask every candidate. I was going to compare and contrast their answers after I you know, interviewed everyone. And based on that sort of objective, and you know, it has some subjective, you know, measurements in there as well. But this largely objective exercise, I would, I would then pick, you know, the best person. And um, I learned, probably too late actually, that for me, that is not the best way to hire great people. Hmm. Um, nowadays, when I go into interviews, I'm, I'm trying to assess two things. One. Can the person do the job? Meaning, do they have the skills to do the job? And in, in, in oftentimes, particularly in software engineering uh, roles, you want to be able to ensure that this person has some experience and and can actually, um, you know, do the job. They've got the technical chops to do it. Um, but to and I think that's probably the least important thing because most people, um, if they you know if they can demonstrate an ability to learn um, quickly. And they've had some track record of, you know, picking up skills fairly quickly. They can learn new skills. I think the the most important thing um, is ensuring that that individual is a good fit, not only for the company, but also for the team. Um, and if you can find people that are hungry and want to learn and people that are going to fit well on the team, um, yeah, they're, they're, that's probably the person you want to hire. Um and uh, so that's that's kind of my very simplified approach to hiring. And one thing that I do, um, and I know this is pretty common, but I, you know, I I, <laughs> I think it's worth mentioning, is you you want to have the folks that are going to be working with this person interview them. You want to have them visit with them. Um, if you if you're the the leader, <laughs> the poobah, and you're the only one doing the interviews, and you're expecting them to work with you know folks that are already on the team that you're working with. And you don't have them interview with those folks. That's probably not a good idea. Um, awesome. You want to, yeah. You want it, now. I, I have this caveat. Sometimes this has happened a few times where the team came back and said, "Well, you know, we really like them. They're great, but we don't think they have the skills to kind of hit the ground running and, um, you know, make big contributions right away." I um I kind of take that with a grain of salt, and I'll I'll sometimes uh uh hire that person despite the fact that they don't have all the skills that we might want um, because they demonstrated an ability or, or at least were able to talk about um, their ability to to come up to speed on things quickly and because their team fit was so high. Um, so yeah, two things. Do a little quick skill check. Make sure that they're competent. <laughs> and two, you know, can they fit really well, work really well in the team? Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, that that's kind of a good recipe for hiring, um, you know, hiring folks. Love it. I, I, it's like, you're looking at my notes. I had let the team also interview since chances are they're going to work more with them than you are. Um, I've just a couple others that I would add. I have really been, um, trying to figure out how to have people audition more than interview. Like, is there a sample of work that they can do? Is there a way they can partner with the team? 
Um, I am totally with you on that behavioral interviewing has led us astray. And that's like, tell me about a time where you bought a fortune 500 company, right? Like it, what it really should sell be me is this like, pen Casey, please. Sell yeah. Me this oh, pen. I've done that. I've had people sell me a pen before, but you know, I think it's like, please lie to me about, uh, an experience that I cannot verify, uh, that you've done it. And there is something to that. And like, can you frame an argument? You know, can you listen to my question and answer me? I mean, how many times I've had to redirect a question to actually get at what I'm trying to ask. Um, but I, one other tip I would say is hire people at the bottom of the S curve for the role. And, and let me explain S curve. If you think of your uh, time in a job as like a typical S curve, you know, you start at the bottom, it takes a while to get momentum. Then you experience a rapid increase in your skills. That's the S going up. And then yep. you kind of top out. And if you don't get a new challenge, you're going to, uh, you know, you're going to get stale and stagnant in that role. And I learned this from a great book called Building an A-plus Team by Whitney Johnson. Jacob, that's two book recommendations to your zero so far. So I am winning uh, The five dysfunctions of a team. Boom. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one too. Uh, But I I would always rather bring someone in a little low, you know, a little lower. Same thing with that skill set. Because I also find your previous skills actually might be a hindrance to working here. And that skill may need to change based on how we do things. The other thing I always ask myself, um, if I'm hiring an individual contributor, I ask myself, do I want to work with this person every day? Um, relationally, do I want to work with this person? Doesn't mean I have to be best friends with you, but um, can I connect with you in a conversation? Is there something you said that inspired me or that made me think uh, about something a little different? If I'm hiring a leader, then my question is, am I willing to be led by you? Would I be on your team? And if the answer is no, then the interview is over. And I've had interviews that lasted 10 minutes uh, before. And my last rule of thumb is it's hell yes or it's hell no uh, in an interview. So if you if you leave at the end of that, and you're like, I'm kind of on the fence, send the decline um, yep. in that moment. Hire, raise your bar, hire the person that you're like, oh yeah, I gotta have this person on my team. That's, that's the people you wanna find on your team. Yeah, and I would say too, you know, in most cases, um, I mean, I always felt like in it, particularly at certain points in my career where we were desperate, like we really needed to, to hire someone for a role that we really needed. And, uh, you know, to your advice, Casey, I always resisted the urge just to hire, just to fill the seat. Um, because I recognized that if I hired the wrong person, it could really demoralize and hurt the team. And it was more important to not have the role and for me to maybe be a little bit busier, um, you know, trying to fill in those gaps than to hire the wrong person and to, you know, create an okay situation and, and turn it worse or <laughs> make it turn an okay situation into a bad situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's, I think there's it's a really lot of important. options for temporary work now too, yep. like to fill a gap. If that's the case, go find a subcontractor or hire someone on yep. an, a and we 30, often did that 90 yeah. day contract, yeah. right? That's actually probably where we should be talking is we should be hiring everyone on a temporary basis and then converting, you know, after we've had some experience with them. Okay. That's, uh, that's some really good tips on hiring. Let's switch. Oh, I have one more tip. Oh, one okay, more, one tip. more. If you do, and I've done this, if you're kind of on the fence regarding someone's skills and you have them do a, you know, sort of a project to, to demonstrate, you know, what, what they can do, pay them for their time to do that. 
it's it's really I think it's just really awful not to pay people for their time when they're you know they're working to 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 demonstrate um you know their skills so they can get a job with you so give them a project yeah. maybe a real project because you're paying for it yeah and uh, and if they do a great you know awesome if they don't that's fine too but but no harm no foul everyone got paid um or they got paid um and you got you know you got something for it too so that that's Love my that. one pro tip with asking people you know to do work before they actually okay if we're doing recruiting uh <laughs> things that bug us here's my one that i'm going to add <laughs> Put the freaking salary range on the job posting um, because that's another thing that I think wastes a lot of people's time is like just be upfront about what that is um, rather than like make them jump through all these hoops before you're you know honest about what the position pays and what the benefits are. Lead with that and then work through the the group that you have. So th- yeah, those that are- allows people to self select themselves out and right. uh, and yeah, and you know no one wastes any time. Like, yeah. yeah, nothing worse than getting to the point where you want to hire someone and you don't know how they're going to take the salary information. Like, like, so if you're in a company that doesn't do that, because a lot of times middle managers, you don't have the say on that. You have an HR department or recruiting department. I would lead my interview. Um, you know, at the end, there's almost always a question time. That's one thing that I would ask is tell me your your expectations of, of salary, working conditions, benefits, um, and then you may not have to disclose what your number is, but you can at least know if you're in the ballpark, you know, with that person. So yeah, do that in the earliest stage possible. Yeah, um, earliest stage possible. And I typically will do phone screens with people before I actually bring them in for interviews or have them yeah. visit with other folks, and uh, get that out during the you know fifteen thirty minute you know phone screen. Yeah, um, get it out early. Yeah, your that time way. is super <laughs> precious. So if you're wasting right. it on on that. Um, okay, so now let's go to what I believe is the most underdeveloped skill of middle managers, and that is actually uh, I'm not going to say firing because what I call it at what I call it is releasing someone to be good somewhere else. <laughs> That's what That's I call a very it. Uh, very positive way to frame letting yes. people go. <laughs> I really believe it though. That's I had this experience where I had a person on my team. And, um, she wasn't very good and I'm just going to put it bluntly. Like she was a great person. We connected personally on so many different areas. Like she was like beyond like uh, a good person. She was like a good humanitarian and like doing like cool stuff in her life was a foster parent. You know, it was like some of the stuff I connect with and, and, uh, I just liked her so freaking much. And, Um, but she was not good at her job. Like not just like the skill of it, but the demeanor, her ability to connect with the customer. Um, and she was in a high visibility customer position, working with customers all day long. And it finally got to the point where I did have to release her. And, uh, and I say that because we went through this process. It was terribly emotional Um, she didn't take it well. She called me some pretty choice things through the process. Um, but about a year later, I actually got an email from her that thanked me for dealing with this issue. She had found a position to where she was a top performer. It was just, it wasn't customer facing. That was the, that was the, it was more project management stuff with internal audiences. And that was her spot. And she is flourishing. We're still connected, still friends. We still chat every now and then. Um, but that thank you letter changed my perspective on firing people. And, and like I said, I, I just have this fundamental belief that everyone wants to be good at their job. 
And if, if someone is not good, really honest feedback needs to happen. That is the kind thing. Here's my third book recommendation, Radical Candor, which you know challenges you to um, care deeply about your team and to challenge sincerely. And if you think of the, the mentors, the coaches in your life that have made the biggest difference, it's because they told you the truth and they were honest about it. Um, and that made the biggest difference. So if someone on your team, if you need to clearly identify and clearly identify what needs to change, uh, I mean, to the point of like to test yourself, ask them, what have you heard me say is the problem? What, what are the steps you're going to take to correct it? And give it a real quick turnaround time, two, three months um, to to figure that out. And if not, let's just be honest. Let's let's depart as friends because they're those labor dollars that they're eating up. You're choosing that to be the culture of your team. You're choosing to spend your precious resources that way. When there is another Jacob, there is another Casey out there looking for a position. Um, so this is my superpower as a team builder is I will go into a team and within three to six months, I will know who is in the long term uh, for that team, who is definitely not and needs to be coached out, and then who is in the middle and has some like work to do on it. So what do you think That's about awesome. Jacob? Is that, is that cold? Is it heartless? Is it? No, evil? I think, I think radical candor is uh, uh, a precious and um, maybe uh, uh uh, rare skill um, that we see, you know, just in business in general, and particularly among, you know, middle managers. I'll tell you, there are a handful of folks that I had to let go in my career where they were surprised the day we let them go. And I, when, when people are surprised that they're being let go, that is a failure. <laughs> it is a failure. Uh, it's uh, dangerous. Too. Yeah, it's a, it's it, not well, just a failure. It's, it's yeah, like, it is dangerous. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it, it really, um, yeah, it, I failed. I failed them. Um, where you know, no one should be surprised when they're being let go, or they should be maybe mildly surprised, but not really surprised. Like it shouldn't be a shock. Um, hopefully, you've had, as as Casey kind of pointed out, lots and lots of conversations. You've taken time to um, help people get better, and if they don't get better, you know, you set very clear expectations of what's what's going to happen when they don't get better. Um, I I had one kind of success story. Uh, uh, one gal who. Um, uh, I was working with, uh, she was not doing very well. Um, she wasn't going to get a raise. I had to, you know, give her very candid feedback. Otherwise, you know, I'd probably have to let her go. And I was dreading <laughs> the meeting where I was going to be delivering my, um, candid feedback. And, uh, I, uh, I probably didn't do a lick of work that day. In fact, I, I think I probably went on like 10 walks, um, I was really dreading it. I, I don't know why. I mean, thinking back, it was like, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I really, um, I, I'm, I'm kind of a conflict adverse person. I don't really enjoy conflict. And I, I thought in this particular case, there was going to be a, um, uh, a high, I was really worried, I guess, that there was going to be a lot of <laughs> conflict. Um, turns out though, you know, I, I had the meeting, I delivered the feedback, told her she wasn't getting a raise and, um, you know, it was hard and she was disappointed and um, I probably should have given her feedback earlier, you know, so I was disappointed too um, that I didn't do that. But the next day uh, she came, she came to me and said, you know what, Jacob, thank you so much for taking the time to give me feedback. Uh, I, you know, you, you 
you were very articulate. You were very honest. I understand what you're talking about. And she did great. You know, uh, I never had to let her go, which was awesome. And, uh, she improved. And, uh, from that kind of point on, we had a much more sort of open, candid, um, you know, working relationship and it, it was great. Um, so I think that, you know, I learned the hard way through experiences like that, that, uh, it's really powerful to give candid feedback. And I think you can give feedback in a very, I mean, we've all gotten, gotten feedback that was not delivered the best way possible. I think there is a way to deliver candid feedback in a loving and kind way. Um, and, uh, maybe that's probably going to be a whole nother episode because I I think that's a really important, uh, leadership skill, um, that, I know folks and I've worked with folks and I've worked for folks that are really bad at it. Um, they're good at giving candid feedback, but they're good at, they're bad at giving candid feedback in a way that people can actually receive yeah. and hear it and implement it and, um, and take it to heart. And I think there's a, there's a real, and it's a skill. It's something you can build. I think, I don't think it's an aptitude. Like you don't, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's something you can build upon. And, and if uh, you enjoy it, there's probably, yep. you know, something messed up you know what i mean like oh yeah you should like, not enjoy firing people no, if you enjoy you firing people uh, yeah it's, it's not what you think of when you you think of like your you know player reel of being a leader is those moments where you have to fire someone um you know you think of the celebrity you think of that story you just told jacob like my coaching made a difference and this person became a performer i i the 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 dangerous part of that I would say is not giving yourself a cutoff for that coaching to start to work and to just keep coaching and coaching and coaching. You're running this like loop when the person's not the the right fit. So I'd say, give yourself a clear timeline. The other part is if you remove the extra coaching, does performance dip again? And if it does, that's a sign of like that you're a great coach, but that they're not a great individual contributor and that they may need to find something else. And this doesn't always mean leaving your company. Like I've had people where we've just found a different role for them uh, inside of the company and they've really flourished in that new role. And that to me should be on your player reel, right? Like that should be on your highlight film is, uh, yeah, we identified this wasn't the right role. We found the right role and this person is thriving um, now in this. And then there's confidence in it. Uh, I re- There's one more story I uh, inherited uh, a branch, like I said, in when I my finance days and, um, had this assistant manager and I started working with him about after about six months, I had to write a review for him. And my review was not very positive. And, you know, there was, there was a lot to work on and I was very clear and direct and honest. And he lost it, was so upset about this. And he's like the, these other like 10 years of reviews, I've always received like the top review. And, and when we talked, it was, uh, well, what's your long-term goal here? And it was to be a manager. And I'm like, well, if, if it, those 10 reviews did not move you to a manager, then maybe those weren't great reviews. This review can move you to a manager if you if you actually take to heart what what's in here. And he did. And he moved to a manager and he did a great job. So it, it you know, it's, it's the kind thing to do to give that clear, honest feedback. And it is also a signal to the rest of your team about what you're allowing to happen on your team. And they know who's underperforming more than you know, who's underperforming. And if it's never dealt with, you're going to lose, they're going to lose faith in you as a leader. And so that's back to my, like you choose your team every single day. If there's a part of your job you're dreading or a person you're dreading talking to, you should examine what your, your heart is trying to tell you there 
and you need to deal with it. And often that comes in in just saying like, this isn't right for everyone. Let's, and we probably need to do a whole episode on hiring and firing. But uh, anyway, these are some, I think, really good pro tips. But I, I think it's been terrific. Uh, I'd love to kind of wrap us up here. Jacob, what is like the one takeaway you would give to people today about, uh, you know, the, the perils and opportunities of a new team, about imposter syndrome, hiring, firing? What's like the one thing? If they were to take one piece of advice that we've talked about today, what would you tell a new leader or a middle uh, level leader to take? You know, I think I'd go back to my, you know, sort of imposter syndrome advice. And I think this is good just throughout life. And I found that as I've gotten older, like you, this is one of those things that you really got to remind yourself of. And I would say, you know, be curious, be tenacious. um, And, 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 you know, think, and, and what Casey said, you know, think the best, think that, you know, folks want to do their best work Um, because I, I think that's really true. And if you're curious, if you're tenacious, if you're open, if you're um, uh, kind, like that, that'll take you a long way, uh, particularly leading a new team or starting a new team. Yeah. And if you're already embedded in a team, you can choose to start tomorrow, right? You can right. choose for it to be that moment where you really get serious about um, your team and the makeup and, and how they're performing. Like just I start guess, tomorrow. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is, you know, check your inner cynic. Check the inner cynic. We're all very cynical. We're cynical of other people. We're cynical of, you know, companies and our bosses and the people that work for us or with us. Like, check your inner cynic and, and yeah, you know, try being curious. Try being a little tenacious. Try reading a, a, a little more. Um, I think that that really goes a long way. And I, I think that's something that if you can foster and, uh, 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 throughout life, you know, it'll serve you really, really well. Nice. So basically check yourself before you wreck yourself or your team. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's great. Well, thank you for joining us today. You're going to want to stay tuned uh, for our next episode where we're going to delve into uh, teams, team norms and tenants. And uh, in our fable hear about an email that went horribly wrong. Um, But but before you go, we'd love to highlight that uh, this is a labor of love for us, this podcast. We would love for it to pay for itself. So we're going to be completely upfront that we have created some affiliate uh, links on our website, uh, leaderfables.com, where you can uh, see what Jacob talked about earlier about some books that we recommend. Um, We have also some other uh, uh, things we like page where you can look and and we receive a a, a small portion uh, back on that. Uh, We'd also like to thank our excellent uh, voice actors, uh, Mike Drew, Jess Nahayakan, Brittany Morgan, Jaylee Atkins, uh, Lee Arscott, and Nicholas Greco. Thank you guys so much for making this podcast fun. And until next time, lead on. Lead on.